we're going to preach through a couple of Old Testament prophets in the first quarter of this year. Um, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John and we're going to work our way through a couple of Old Testament prophets. We're going to do Malachi and we're going to do Jonah. Uh, Jonah's an Old Testament prophet. And the reason why we want to go through these is not because there's any major thing going on inside of us uh, as a church, but I want us to be wide-eyed and fully awake all the time. Um, And so what I want to do for a few moments here is just give you a little introduction to Malachi, and then next week we're just going to hook right into it. Now, Old Testament prophets. What do Old Testament prophets do? Well, Old Testament prophets do two things. They foretell and they foretell. Right? That's what they do. Some of you go, what's the difference? Well, foretelling is when someone predicts the future. Right? Forthtelling is about telling forth. It's about making something public. Now, most of the time when people think about the Old Testament prophets, they think that they're foretelling. But actually, most of the time, the Old Testament prophets are not foretelling. They're forthtelling. They're speaking on behalf of God. And you might go, well, what are they saying? Well, they're all kind of saying the same thing because the main kind of central agenda of the Old Testament prophets is to call people back to faithfulness to God in relationship with him. You might go, what sort of relationship was this? Well, it was a covenant. And a covenant is a special kind of relationship. And it's more than a friendship. Uh, Think marriage. Um, this, this is the relationship that's, that's kind of most like the one Israel had entered into with God. So when a couple get married, they make vows to one another. And the vows that a couple make when they get married, and we would call it the covenant of marriage, the vows that they make are the rules for the relationship. Now, sometimes when I'm taking couples through premarital before they get married they go we want to write our own vows right and and I always go you can do that if you want but we won't be using them unless I approve them right because let me tell you what often happens with couples when they write their own vows not all the time but what often happens is they write down a whole bunch of feelings that they have for each other right now that's a problem Not that someone's saying nice things to the other person about how they feel about them. I think lots of those things should be said at a wedding and the reception and all that sort of stuff, right? But when you're actually making vows, what you're doing is you're saying, these are the rules of the covenant relationship that I'm forming with you. Now, it doesn't sound very romantic, but I just want to say to you that every single relationship that you have has got rules by which it operates. And if you break the rules, you break the relationship. Every single relationship. Um, The difference between a marriage covenant and a friendship is you normally don't sit down and talk about what the rules of the relationship are and the friendship, but you do actually lay them down and be really clear about them when you're actually getting married to someone. So in the Old Testament, Israel entered into a covenant at Mount Sinai with God. And there are rules to the relationship. You can find those rules in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Now, the Israelites did pretty well at times when it came to complying with the rules of the covenant and staying in relationship with God. But 
most of the time they actually ignored God and what he said. So God sent prophets to speak on his behalf and to call the people back to faithfulness to him. And that's why if you've ever read uh, the Old Testament prophets, they're, they're head kickers, right? Because the people are in rebellion against God and they actually don't want to have anything to do with him. And so it can be a bit tricky sometimes to preach on it because sometimes you'll have preachers who just get the Old Testament prophets and go, we need to say that to every single person. And I would say, well, no, you're talking to different people sometimes, right? When I'm talking to you, I'm talking to people who actually want to follow the Lord. You know, you don't have your backs by and large turned to them. You're not walking away. So it's a little bit tricky to kind of thread the needle, so to speak, on how to land the Old Testament prophets um let's talk malachi for a minute and and you'll you'll see the relevance to malachi here malachi is the last book in the old testament and malachi has got the same task as almost every other prophet in the old testament calling people back to relational faithfulness to god but he's operating a little bit differently to most because even though it looks like it on the surface he's operating at a different time and so what I want to do is show you a, uh, a timeline of Old Testament events and help you to see where Malachi is kind of running and it'll, uh, it'll make a little bit of sense. Here's a bit of a timeline here, kind of from prehistory, um, Adam and Eve. You can see there uh, God's call of Abraham, Israel, Jacob and his family moved to Egypt. Um, and then what we've got here is you've got the Exodus, um, and God raises up the judges and then the Israelite monarchy begins with Saul. Then David becomes king. Solomon builds the temple. The kingdom gets divided. The northern kingdom's conquered by uh, Assyria. Judah's conquered. The temple is destroyed. The people are sent off into exile. Then they come back and the temple walls... Sorry, the temple and the, uh, the walls of Jerusalem get rebuilt. And there's two times in the Old Testament where, um, where Nehemiah actually goes to Jerusalem. And, and theologians kind of suggest, and I can go through some of the reasons for it later on, that Malachi was around in between Nehemiah's two visits. Right? That's where he was. If you, um, if you want to have a look at this one, and there's a bit of... People got lots of different ideas about this, but this is a chart just showing when different books of the Bible were actually written. Um, and you can see, according to this guy, see Malachi there is about 435 BC. So according to that chart, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament written. And then God goes quiet for 400 years. Now, given this, can you, can you see what's happening here? The people had been exiled. They got whacked. They came back after the exile, the temple was rebuilt and the walls of Jerusalem were being rebuilt. Nehemiah was a key figure in it. Um, God's people had been punished. The remnant were back. Things were settling down. You see that? There was some routine. There was peace. The crisis was over. And things were getting back to some kind of normality. And what happened? 
Well, if you read the book of Malachi, they start losing it again. Right? And it's the dangers of peacetime. It's the dangers of prosperity. I think there's no better uh, description of um, the context of Malachi, actually, than the introduction that Eugene Peterson gives to it in the message. So I just want to read that with you. Um, Most of life is not lived in crisis, which is a good thing. Not many of us would be able to sustain a life of perpetual pain or loss or ecstasy or challenge. The crisis has this to say for it. In times of crisis, everything, absolutely everything is important and significant. Life itself is on the line. No word is casual, no action marginal, and almost always God and our relationship with God is on the front page. But During the humdrum times, when things are, as we tend to say, normal, our interest in God is crowded to the margins of our lives and we become preoccupied with ourselves. Religion during such times is trivialised into asking God questions, calling God into question or complaining about him, treating the worship of God as a mere hobby or a diversion, managing our personal affairs such as marriage for our own convenience and disregarding what God has to say about them, going about our usual activities as if God were not involved in such dailiness. The prophecy of Malachi is made to order for just such conditions. Malachi creates a crisis at a time when we are unaware of crisis. He wakes us up to the crisis of God during the times when the only thing we are concerned with is us. He keeps us on our toes, listening for God, waiting in anticipation for God, ready to respond to God who is always coming to us. See, it kind of fits <laughs> where we're at. And, and, and not in the sense that maybe we're running down the track in the direction that the people of Israel were then, but the, the normality, uh, falling asleep at the wheel maybe, the possibility of it. Why don't we close this little introduction to Malachi? by reading the first couple of verses of, um, of the book. Um, and it's, it's so piercing. I, those who've been here long enough know I could probably preach on this for about three months, I reckon. Just these two verses. Like, here it is, verse 1 and 2, a prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask... How have you loved us? Can you see what's going on there? The people are being loved by God and they don't know it. They don't know it. And this this actually highlights something that all of us know. And it's this. You can be loved and not know that you're loved. Right? And, and some of you go, yeah, like it, I know that that can happen, but, but how? And, and the, the way that it happens is you can actually get out of step with relationship with God and he can be loving you and you'd be going, I can't even see where he loves me. I, I have seen this heaps and heaps of times with married people. When married people come to me for help with their marriage, one one partner one one of the spouses is is kind of out of step relationally with the other one and is is clueless about the fact that the other one's loving them you know and 
And, and part of it, I mean, I don't say it like this, right, because that's not what counsellors do, so I, but I sit there and I go, you idiot, like that, that person is like really loving you heaps and it's like they just haven't got a clue. And, and the reason why they don't have a clue is because they've turned away from their spouse and they're, they're facing in some other direction. Um, there's a corporate uh, goal to what I'm saying today. There's a church-wide goal, but there's a very, very personal one. Uh, and here's, here's, here's my heart for you um, and, and the leadership. We, we want you to know you're loved all year round. Anyone think that's a good plan? We want you to know that you're loved all year round. All right? And if, if you are someone who's just going, I reckon that's good. Well, here's what you need to do to know that you're loved by God all year round. You need to stay in relationship with him. You need to pay attention to things. You know, because I almost put up here, we want you to feel that you're loved all year round. But then that would probably set some of you off. But if you went all year and you didn't feel loved by God, uh, that would be a problem too. Um, I use the word know, and I, I don't mean it in a only a cognitive way that you know some kind of fact. Biblical knowing is way, way, way more than that. It's kind of known down in your gut, all right? That's what it is. And if you're a dude here and it's like, it's not a gushy feelings thing, all right? Uh, it's, a, it's, an, it's not just a, like a female kind of thing. It, it's, this is an everyone thing, right? Everyone wants to be loved, right? Right? And here's what Malachi is going to tell you, is you, you're not going to know that you're loved unless you stay in the relationship. And so you're going to need to be careful and pay attention to some things that are really important and so he's he's going to go through and talk about what we offer to god that's what we're doing next week is he going to go and talk about what's happening in marriages he's going to talk about what we're doing about injustice he's going to talk about what we're doing with our tithing what we're giving to the lord from our finances now do you see it like there's plenty of home front going on there at that point um anyway okay Makes one of us. I'm keen. We'll talk into it next week.